Hello and welcome to the Road Monkey podcast. My name is Kevin Pickard. We're here to share stories that inspire you to challenge the status quo, challenge yourself and hopefully take some positive actions forward into your life. Stay up to date on all our social media pages as we are continuing to roll out more content in the coming months, including Instagram Lives and more blog posts. Just search for the Road Monkey podcast across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. So on to today and I'm thrilled to welcome Amy Palmer. Having played in the FA Women's Super League as well as representing England in the under-17s, under-19s and under-21s, Amy has had some incredible experiences for someone so early in their professional sporting career. It was great to explore Amy's journey and some of the challenges she's had to overcome along the way. A really bright star in the women's football world and I'm really excited to be able to share this interview with you. So we're going to get straight into it and episode 42 of the Rogue Monkey podcast. Amy Palmer, exploring the journey to women's Super League football. Hello, Amy. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for sharing some time with us today. It's our first women's footballer that we've got on the show and it's, it's really exciting to kind of have you with us. So if you can just give us a, a quick introduction as to who you are and obviously a little bit of what you do. Yeah, so I'm Amy Palmer. I'm a professional footballer, I'm 20 years old, originally from Norwich. Um, grew up playing for Norwich City um, when I was around 16. They the FA shut the Centre of Excellence, so at the age of 16, I decided to move to Bristol to study my A-levels and try and build a career, because at that point, obviously, I didn't know if it was possible. Um, 16, 17, I played for Bristol, the development side, and then my second year, I sort of gradually got into the first team, right on the brinks, and then my manager at the time moved to Man United, and decided to take me along with him. So at the age of 17, I went to Man United for two seasons, signed my first pro contract. Um, at the end of them two, two years, I got released. So joined Bristol again, just to get game time, get my confidence back up. Um, alongside that, I'm studying at university and I've also been involved in the England setups, age groups along the way. Okay, so we've got about a thousand and one things to unpick there. So. Yeah. I want to go back to where it all started. Was football kind of your passion when you were at school or did you do a number of sports? You know, what did that early sports experience look like? Yeah, I mean, I originally was doing ballet when I was about five and then I was mates with a guy, Luke, uh, been my best mate since I was four or five and he played football. So, of course, I decided I want to play football. And at that young age, my mum was like, well, you're either going to have to do ballet or football because they're at the same time at the same day. And luckily, I decided to play football because, well, I can't imagine doing ballet now. So I'm quite <laughs> thankful for that. Um, but yeah, growing up, I played all sports. Uh, my sister's a swimmer. I swam as well. I played cricket. I played every sport under the sun at school. Um, yeah, so I played cricket at quite a high level as well. Um, but yeah, I just, I love every sport, always have done, always will. I think once I retire from football, I'd happily get into as many sports as possible again. So yeah, that's, yeah. Do you think um, doing all those sports at a young age kind of helped, not just your physical, but I guess your like social and your sporting skill development in, in what you do now? Do you look back and think, oh, I kind of picked a bit from this and a bit from that? Yeah, 100%. I think fitness wise, it was massive. 
um, I actually hated swimming when I was younger, but my mum just always said like it will help your football, not even just fitness wise, but recovery wise. It's it's brilliant for recovery. And definitely I, I've always said that the friends you make in sport are so much better than friends you make in school because you have so many common interests and they'll they'll be with you throughout the highs, the lows, and they'll always understand that. So I think in terms of that, yeah, hundred percent. I've brought a lot from all the other aspects of of every other sport I've played. When you were younger, obviously women's sport didn't have as much coverage as it did now, or it does now, I should say. So what, who, who did you look up to when you were young? Did you have specific kind of role models, not necessarily in football, but in sport in general? Yeah, I think um, when I was growing up, football wasn't really... If you wanted to watch football, you had to travel. Like You couldn't really put on BBC or put on BT or even the FA player, which is what they have now for like to stream our games. You didn't have that that luxury of when I was a kid so I remember going to like FA Cup finals like when they were at Wembley and stuff with my mates because that was the only chance we really got to see like the footballers um I remember I used to be such like a fangirl when I was younger all the all the England ladies and when I went to United and I was in the same team as Alex Greenwood it was just so like weird because I was thinking like a few years ago I was literally like would have jumped at the opportunity to get a picture with you and now I'm in the same team as you like it was so strange so I think in terms of role models the main one for me was like Kelly Smith um I think I think pretty much every footballer will say that when they were younger she was the the main the main one and like Jordan Nobbs especially as well because playing the same position I remember when I when I played against Arsenal I think I was 17 I came up against Jordan Nobbs obviously playing in the same position I was looking at her like is this real like obviously it's something you dream of when you're a kid but you don't actually think it's going to happen so yeah I think football wise they were definitely my my main role models and then sort of outside of football like Dame Kelly Holmes all all of them big athletes that you just so like you just admire them because I think as, as well, when you're growing up, you realise the sacrifices they've had to make. And I think it's something you can really like put your feet in their shoes sort of thing. I think that's really cool. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Kelly, because back in the day when I started university, I went to the same university as your sister. And Kelly was based there when I first started there. And I remember going into the training room one day and pretty much having that moment you said when you were at Man U, where you're like... It's Kelly yeah. Smith and yeah. she's, you know, lifting on the platforms and actually the the athleticism and the professionalization of not just women's sport, but generally a lot more sports, especially at university level over the last few years, have probably given a lot more aspiring athletes, I guess, a, a ladder, a, a step up, if you like, to get into not just professional sport, but a higher level of sport than perhaps maybe yeah. 20 years ago. So obviously you talk about you doing university now. How are you balancing studying and training and all these sorts of things? How, what does that kind of lifestyle look like for you right now? Yeah, so right now I'm actually, I had to take like a bit of a gap year because when I was in, in Manchester, that's when I started university. So I went from doing my A-levels at Bristol to studying at Salford University. So I decided to take the course part-time because I knew from doing full-time training at A-levels, it was going to be so hard. I was so stressed out when I was doing that because I'm I'm sort of the same on the pitch as I am off the pitch. I just think, what's the point in doing anything if you can't give it 100%? So I revised all the time. Like I was a bit of a tryhard in that aspect in terms of my education. So I just thought there's no point stressing when I want to be doing 100% on the pitch, 100% in my terms of my education. So 
yeah I did the first two years part-time it was a lot easier to be honest than doing my A-levels I think having done the A-levels it made everything quite easy in terms of university and then moving back to Bristol I had to make the decision whether to transfer or I mean in in like these COVID times I probably could have done it because it probably would have been all online but I didn't really have that decision to make so um, yeah I decided to focus on football for this year because I really wanted to get back playing back in the starting 11. Like I know it wasn't just going to be gifted to me, so I wanted to fully focus on football. So, yeah, I'm going to have to start next year. But I sort of regret it because now that I've had a year out of, out of it, I'm loving not doing anything. But <laughs> I also know that football doesn't last forever and I'm going to need something after it. So That's yeah, very, very sensible. And I guess... You know, like with any sporting journey, but certainly the professional sporting journey, there's ups and downs and challenges along the way. Obviously, you talk there about you know, moving back and you having to kind of gap and then restart university. What are some of the other challenges, not just at a professional level, but across your kind of sporting journey so far that stick to you as kind of things that oh, that was a really tough time to overcome that. But, you know, I'm, I'm partly here because of that. Yeah, I think obviously the first one I had to overcome was leaving home at 16 coming from well Norfolk it's tiny <laughs> everyone knows everyone you're sort of just used to your routine sort of thing so yeah moving away at 16 it was hard obviously living away from home at that young age that was definitely the first hurdle that I came up against and then like you say trying to balance life because like at the end of the day like you're only here once like I often think that when I was younger I didn't have much of a childhood because I was out playing football, then I went swimming, then I was at cricket training, then I had netball after school. I didn't get to experience everything that every child will nowadays. Like I didn't go to parties when I was younger. I think so when I look back, I think not annoyed because obviously I'm here because of every decision I made, but I have missed out on sort of as- certain aspects of of a childhood, which yeah. It's hard. And then I think on the pitch, definitely injuries. I suffered quite a bad injury this season, the first that I've ever really had a bad one. And also, yeah, in, like, in terms of football, like that's something that I've learned, obviously, from getting released from United. Like no one has loyalties to anyone. Like football clubs don't have loyalties to managers. Managers don't have loyalties to players. Um, at the end of the day, it is a business. And I think the sooner you realise that, the, the better. Definitely. Do you think as well, like looking back, obviously, some of the the challenges you probably had, although they're either not sport or they are sport, they impact in all areas of your life. And I think, for example, talk about an injury there as a prime example, you know, that doesn't just affect the ability to playing on the pitch. Suddenly, actually, it changes everything of what you can do. And I guess like with huge aspects of like mental health over the last 12 months with a lot of people stuck at home. Has that been something that's kind of factored into, I guess, this the, these challenges along the way, not just the, the sport bit, but the, the bits outside of that? Yeah, 100%. I think my injury changed how I felt mentally. I've, I struggled quite a bit, to be honest. Um, just even like I had to rely on people and I hate doing that. I had to rely on people because I couldn't drive um, to get my shopping, like to get to training to get to even to get to my scans I had to ask people for lifts and stuff which I hated because like I want to do everything for myself and I think that's something that I found really hard and then obviously having to watch the people in your team do what you love and not having like you're not able to have any impact on anything like watching your mates go off training while you're stuck in the gym doing rehab like I found that very difficult 
Um, but yeah, it's definitely shaped how I am mentally, like just enjoying every session now. Like don't take it for granted because you don't know when, when the last one will be really. For sure. And I think we've already alluded to a little bit, the, the challenges of the emergence of women's sport and not in like from a participation sense, but it's actually the support and the recognition that it actually deserves. So what experiences have you had along the way? And obviously you've been in a number of parts of the country in terms of the dissimilarities between what the men's pathway in football looks like and what the women's pathway looks like. Yeah, I think the main one that I noticed even at a young age was if I wanted to have a career in football, I have to move halfway across the country there's nothing around like the east of England for young female footballers to have a career. So I think that was that's probably the main difference is that obviously I, I know like there are a lot more male footballers and a lot less percentage of them make it into football. But in terms of the opportunities they get, no matter where they grow up, there's always an academy, there's always a first team. Whereas for females, it's like... I so I'm from Norwich and I'm in Bristol I moved to Bristol that's a four or five hour drive for me to try and get a career and even when I left it wasn't something that was just given to me I had to work hard for it so I think in terms of the opportunities given it's a lot less in female football um, but I think um, you, you're seeing a lot more like Premier League clubs getting getting a women's side now so before I moved to Man United they didn't even have a women's side and I think that's mad because like when we when we first went there we were sort of drilled into us that it's the biggest it's the biggest team in the world the biggest team in the world have only just had had a women's side put in I think that's ridiculous um but I think the way in which they're doing it is right they're putting a lot of funding into it even even the social media side of it I remember we first went down and we had to have photo shoots for like a, like a whole day's worth. We weren't allowed to go on our phones. We had to put them away because obviously didn't want the, the strips getting leaked. Um, they made like a big announcement of it because no one knew any of the players. So they made like a massive deal about that. And I think I was so shocked because obviously I'd come from like little Bristol to Man United where I got 10K followers in a day and I was like, my phone was going absolutely mental and I hated it. Like I was like, how am I going to see my friends of like my pictures? Like, I'm not going to be able to do that. Like the shock of going from a small club like Bristol to Man United was mad. And I was like, that's just a small proportion of what the men get. Like that's like, it's just crazy to think about in that aspect, like social media and even the fans, like obviously women's football is quite a small bubble. So you don't get as many fans as the men do. But I think, I think, to be honest, that's probably a positive, though, because we don't get the abuse that the men probably get. It's very supportive. And even since I've come back to Bristol, I still get messages from the Man United supporters like wishing me well and stuff. So I think that's probably the main difference that um, is positive for women's football. I think that's interesting you say that as well, because in our last season, we spoke to Jose Enrique, who formerly played at Liverpool, and he talked about a void when he stepped away from suddenly going into normal life, if you like, and actually stepping out of that crazy spotlight. And he said, you know, back in the day, you'd actually, you couldn't do anything. And actually it's, people think, oh yeah. And he said it quite openly on the show. Yeah, it all sounds great. And you've got some money and you've got this and that. He said, but you can't have a life. And actually yeah. finding what you love and finding what you do, but also then getting to the point where the recognition for that and the, I guess noise and stuff that comes with it actually detracts from it. I think it's 
like you say, it's kind of a positive and a negative because obviously the game needs more exposure for it to yeah. grow and develop and more money to come into it. But on the flip side of that, there are some real negative things that come into it. I mean, for the, for the I guess there's a lot of young aspiring female athletes, not just in football, but many sports looking to break through and, you know, forge a career. What kind of things have you taken from your, your small kind of community upbringing to kind of where you are now that's helped you manage all of these things so far? I think... The main one for me and like I look at my dad as a role model in this aspect, even though I come from like a small, a small area, you still have to work incredibly hard to get the opportunities that you get. And I think, well, a motto that I've lived my life by is hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, because I know I've not always been the best on the pitch, but from a young age, I've always worked the hardest. And I think you can see that in, in my career and the sacrifices that I've had to make is that. I've always had a dream of being a professional footballer. I've always had a dream of playing for England. And since I've had that since the age of six and like I've worked every day of my life up until today. And I think, yeah, coming from a small place, you might think you get it gifted to you and whatever, but you really don't. You just have to put everything you have into it. When you kind of first got, you know, came through and started doing professional stuff and got these different opportunities, was there a point where you almost had to pinch yourself? Because obviously you mentioned there, like it was a dream when you were a child, but there's a big difference between, I guess, the the wide-eyed, I'd love to do that. And then suddenly walking out on the pitch and going, oh, I'm here now. What happens then? Yeah. Like, what, what Was there any moments that you can kind of recall along the way when that happened? Um, my first one was sort of a bittersweet, really. Um, I got called up to an England camp. My first England camp was against Germany. And uh, I think under 16s, I'd, was on the bench the whole game, didn't get a minute. But that moment of standing up, singing the national anthem, like I nearly cried. I was, what, 16, 15. And that moment, obviously something that I'd dreamed of since I was six. I finally had the England shirt on. I was singing my national anthem. I remember my mum made me learn it, like, before I went, <laughs> obviously, singing it. Then being in the crowd, like, it was such a proud moment for me. And it was actually that day that I didn't get a minute. I was like the next time I put on an England shirt, I want to play. I want to make a career out of it. Like I want to go far in the England setup. So that was one of the main ones. And then also when I went to United, I remember the first game, I think it was um, a massive, well, a massive crowd for me. Um, just hearing the chants, obviously I'd been to a lot of Norwich games when I was a kid, like, but you never really know how it feels to hear the, the fans until you're actually on the pitch. And I just remember like dribbling with the ball and you could just hear people like shouting your name and stuff. And I was like, wow, like I never expected this to happen, but I'm loving every second of it. What's the uh, the biggest crowd you've played in front of over the years? Um, I think it was actually when we went on a pre-season tour to, to Norway. I think it was like... 15,000 which to be honest isn't actually like that much in the women's game but for me like it was yeah it was mad I think people uh, again it depends obviously if you follow sports but I mean there are some events you go to the O2 where a full crowd can be 15,000 people and they go oh wow the atmosphere is incredible and it's like yeah you're sitting there watching what's it like trying to I guess, perform your craft, actually get out there and do what you've, you know, practiced for years and years and years and worked on and developed and then having to actually do it suddenly when there is 15,000 people shouting your name and, you know, all these this pressure and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How do you manage that? I think, of course, you have like massive boosts of adrenaline, but in a good way. But then also like if you make a mistake and the crowd go, oh, like obviously you're like 
god like there's actually people watching me now like you can you can feel the crowds like anticipation like when they're anxious when I, I guess they sort of they are the 12th man I know it's like everyone says it but they are like you know when you're doing well because the crowd are behind you you know if you're having a bit of a bad game because they're they're not so so much behind you but I think I'm still learning to be honest like I've not played in front of massive massive crowds yet and it's something that I'm not used to and especially like in these times like we've not had that exposure this season because obviously it's been behind closed doors so I think as a young player it's something that I won't get used to until many many years of my career but I guess even if you spoke to someone who's played in front of 90,000 at Wembley I think they'd still say the same that it's not something you get used to I think it's something that you just learn to deal with. That's really, really cool. Are there any, um, I guess, things that you've taken from your from your sporting journey so far and applied away from sport? I mean, you've already mentioned like university work and stuff like that, but there's probably some things along the way that have helped you away from the pitch, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think definitely like in terms of socialising, making friends. Um, I, I had a talk last week and they spoke about um, like when we were younger, we used to go away on tours and stuff like under 10s we used to go to like centre parts for four or five days and I think when you're that age you don't really realise how how much that actually helps you um so like when I moved away from home like I wasn't like oh like I've never done this before because I have I've done it for five six years when I went away on tours and stuff so I think stuff like that um and like in terms of mental health as well definitely has helped me off the pitch because we have a, a great setup around around us I think that's a really good thing about every club I've been at there's definitely a great support system around so if stuff on the pitch isn't going right then you have someone off the pitch to talk about um and also like in terms of resilience I guess like in football if things don't go your way you can't just think oh like I give up I give up like you have to take that off the pitch as well like even in like little things like cooking like if if it isn't like I'm quite a perfectionist like if it doesn't go well like I'm not just going to chuck it in the bin like I'll make the most of what I have sort of thing it's curious you say that because obviously we've it's quite a wide-ranging podcast and some of the people we've interviewed you know Olympic level athletes TV people presenters who you know talk through the football matches but actually there seems to come up this thing time and time again around resilience and I'm really glad you mentioned it because it it's something that anyone who's got to a level of success in whatever career they're doing seems to talk about the fact that it they don't see it as a roadblock they see it as almost just something they get to they figure it out whatever it is and then they move on with whatever tools they've gleaned from that situation and that sounds like you've done that quite a few times already yeah I think uh like as well it's I know it's just like a bit of a cliche term but like I say every arrow has to be pulled back before it can move forward like it's it's so I guess real in that in your life whether you're an athlete or you're not you're going to have things that put, pull you back and if you don't overcome them then you're just going to keep going further and further further back but when you do overcome them you're like I guess you build you build blocks and like it makes it harder for things to to hurt you in the same way like for example like if I if I don't have a good game like when I was younger like it would take me a while to get over it but now I'm just like everyone has a bad game like it's gonna happen like just get your head back get it right and then do all you can to be in in line to play the next game sort of thing I think I'm gonna have to keep that quote forever now pulling it back (laughs) before it moves forwards that's great so talking about going forwards what's obviously got 
hopefully we come out of COVID and the crowds return and, you know, everything gets back to some level of normality and hopefully people have a bigger appreciation for sport than they've ever had before. But for, for yourself looking forwards, what's kind of the next steps? What are your aspirations for the next, say, five years in terms of your football career? Yeah, I'd say, well, the immediate one is staying up. We're in a bit of a relegation battle at the minute in terms of at Bristol. But I think for me personally, um, internationally, I want to get into the senior squad. And I think there's obviously a lot of examples now where people my age are getting getting there. So I think for me, having been in the same squad as them, like being friends of them, like I can see that there is a clear pathway up to the national squad. So I think for me in the next five years, that is definitely something that I want to do. Um, and just, I really just see where football takes me. Obviously, you don't, in football, you don't know where you're going to be next year. Like I always say, I'm 20 years old. I've lived in four places already. Like I've been all around the UK. You never know where you're going to end up, but just... Um, be myself, play my game wherever I may end up, be confident. Um, yeah, that's it really. Just be myself and and hopefully with that I'll get to as high as I high as I want to be. Fantastic. And I've got I've got one more question I want to ask. And this will be curious because for somebody so young in their sports career, you've just alluded to there, you've been so many different places, you've had so many amazing experiences already. So based on all that knowledge and journey so far, if you could go back to five six-year-old Amy back in, in sunny Norwich and say yeah. something what what message would you give to yourself I just say enjoy it like enjoy the journey enjoy playing football like I'd say don't take the highs too high don't take the lows too low because in football you're gonna have both like um when you have a low at 16 17 you think it's the end of the world in two months time you don't even think about it so I think just keep moving keep smiling and just have no regrets um I think like when I went to United it was a massive decision for me I like to be honest 80% of me wasn't going to go because I was happy at Bristol I was comfortable but then I thought like what what happens when I'm 50 years old and I think I wish I would have done that so I think that's definitely another one just have no regrets and just enjoy every moment of it that's fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed sharing some time with you and I'm sure a lot of people out there have got more of an insight into what it's like coming through into the position you are now. So thank you so much for sharing your time and uh, we look forward to seeing how the rest of the year goes. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. What a great insight that was there. Thank you so much, Amy, for joining us. Some great stories shared and hopefully with the growing media coverage of women's football, more aspiring young women will be inspired by what Amy and many others are doing and follow in their footsteps. Make sure you give Amy a follow across her various social media platforms, the links to which we've included in the show notes. If you missed our Instagram live this week with fellow podcaster The Poolside Pass, head over to our Instagram and click through to their profile to catch up on that live video. That's it for this week. Next week, we are joined by a guest who at the time of recording was marooned in Australia during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's the founder of The Coaching Lab, Jack Rolfe. Until then, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Road Monkey Podcast and see you soon.